we're on Apple Podcasts now. So I literally just spent two hours yesterday re-listening to our pilot episode. Oh my god. And like, it's so much better. I can't listen to the episodes like when we drop them. But like, I can, I feel like I can listen to the back catalog of it now. Because I want to, I want to see our journey. I want to see how far we've come. Uh, So eight episodes have been posted so far, correct? Eight episodes, yeah. Ah. But yeah. Hi, Evan. Hello. It's been a minute. It has. It really has. Listen to everybody. Um, I am aware that our posting schedule is irregular. <laughs> I I know that. Uh, we're we try- busy. We're trying to at least stay consistent with like the Wednesday or with the Tuesday postings. Wow, what are what are days? You know, Evan has a job and life <laughs> comes up, and you sometimes you just can't record, and uh, shit happens. And but we're figuring <laughs> it out, and we're glad that anybody's listening at all. So. We're doing our best. At least we can still have time to do this. So that's all that counts or matters. Yeah. But to anybody who like uh, stumbled across us on Apple Podcasts and just decided to start from wherever, hello. Hello. Welcome. What, it's so good to have you. I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, this is The Luck We Had. It's a shameless recap podcast where Evan and I, uh, who are just two fans of the Showtime show Shameless, we like we we weren't on it, involved in it, anything at all. We just love it and have watched it forever. And uh, we are now deciding that we wanted to make sure that wasn't a waste of time. How many times we've watched <laughs> these episodes? Um, and so we're doing a recap podcast of every episode of the series, including in a couple of seasons episodes that uh, that that this host Amanda uh, I I haven't watched. Because uh, I watch, I have. <laughs> I watch seasons one through five, and then I stopped watching because Mickey Milkovich went away. Uh, and then I watched every episode he reoccurred in, and then I watched season ten. That's who I am as a fan. <laughs> I was the same way in the sense that I started watching it, and then I still watched it when it was on air like in the early season so season five when mickey left i think was on air at the time and so realistically if you can't assume already me, me and amanda we like we like mickey like he uh, he might be our favorite character but like yeah. maybe maybe not um <laughs> um and so like i stopped after a while and then i didn't i was in the same boat as amanda as and i like still kind of like kept my eye out on the show to like see like what happening what was happening to everyone and like to see if Mickey did come back and then once the beginning of quarantine started little old me was like you know what let's just watch all of Shameless and catch the fuck up and so that's what I did so I'm currently all caught up with all 10 seasons and I just they recently the other day just put season 10 on Netflix which I saw but um yeah so I've I've all caught up and I'm I'm excited for season 11 but I know we talked about this in a previous podcast. If they make it about COVID, I've decided not to watch it. <laughs> yeah, unless COVID just kills Frank or Terry, I don't. First episode, want it. it's the it's the whole quarantine. Frank dies, and then they're all normal again. That's how I'd vibe with if that we get, season. You know what? You know how a quarantine storyline would be just just best just best portrayed. I'm sorry for everybody who like hasn't watched the rest of the series yet. You can skip. You guys need to catch up. It's been years. But like an ideal, <laughs> an ideal COVID storyline would be either Frank gets it and whatever, or 
Terry gets it and dies off screen before the first episode, and then Mickey has a meaty storyline about his complicated feelings of dealing with his father's death and what that means, and maybe he gets the house, and maybe Ian and Mickey move into the house. And like mm -hmm. it would it would just be a meaty, good, a good, delicious storyline. Like that that would be a Mickey storyline not attached to Ian. Like Ian would be there because Ian is his husband, but like just a meaty Mickey storyline. It's literally all I want. Let's start with killing Terry and then let's get into Mickey's emotions about it. That's what I want. I feel like since they made, uh, since Mickey did leave in season five, I feel like progressively throughout the rest of the series, his storylines really heavily depended on Ian. And I would like this man to have his own storyline. Cause like, even like when they both were on parole, they had the same parole officer. They were meeting up every single day. Like, it wasn't just, like, Mickey was finally having a job. It's no, Mickey has a, like, it just, it just kind of, like, levels of just, like, Ian is the centric for Mickey. And I would really like that they, once they finally have him back as a main character for the last season, he deserves at least a little bit of a, oh, our bad guys, here's actually some shit for you, Mickey. Noel Fisher better get that money. The fact Noel Fisher deserves all, everything. The fact that they, they... Pushed him, they finally, nom like, tried to get him nominated for an Emmy. They, like, put him up in consideration for an Emmy for the show. And nobody from the show got nominated for an Emmy except the stunt coordinator. And half of the stunts on season 10 were Mickey-based stunts. And that makes me happy. Amazing. Mickey got you that Emmy nom, y'all. Mickey did that. <laughs> so I knew we were going to record today, so I went and got some um, anxiety juice in the I love that. of iced I'm, coffee. I'm currently drinking a Red Bull as we speak. <laughs> I've got an iced coffee, an iced tea, a bottle of green tea, and a bottle of water just next to me. I love that. <laughs> We've got this down to a science. I know. I got my big old cup of water. Because I don't have coffee in my household anymore, so I have to rely on energy drinks until I go to a coffee shop. Damn, if only you worked at one. I know, literally the one day I don't have work, I'm like tweaking out because I don't have my coffee fix. <laughs> oh, speaking of, I saw I'm on like my For You page right now is like half baristas. And like oh literally goodness. all day yesterday, it was like, bitch, guess what we got in? It's pumpkin <laughs> spice season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I posted that on my Instagram story. It, 20, 20 days until pumpkin spice comes out, everyone. <laughs> Damn. Like, honestly, as much as like, everyone just like ew like i think pumpkin spice is dope as hell i just think that the hype and the i guess like the characteristics of people who like that drink that have been built around it just makes everyone be like ew that shit's gross yeah and i'm like you're not wrong that it's annoying why it was like ruined but at the same time i'm like it's a beverage like it's not that deep yeah. <laughs> i'm just personally in the fall i'm an apple cider girl that's my Ooh. <gasps> have you gotten the caramel apple spice no get that get that get that Ooh, okay your I mind is going to be blown i follow one tiktoker that somebody gave him like a way to order something that it tastes like apple cider, like an apple cider frappuccino basically and i was like "Ooh, that shit sounds delicious so the caramel apple spice it's a hot drink so it's hot apple cider with cinnamon dolce syrup in it and then whipped cream and caramel drizzle it's literally amanda your mind is going to be blown and you and, and surprise you can get that drink all year round. Fuck me up. I love that. Also, another life hack, you can get the peppermint mocha all year round, too. I did know that. So I, I heard about that a few months ago. I was like, oh, shit, they just, have, they just have peppermint. Okay. Yeah, they just, the only reason, like, people think it's just because they're spotlighted at certain times of the season where those drinks are more common. But more than not, we have a lot of the syrups throughout the entire year. Besides, like, 
like the crazy specific ones like pumpkin spice obviously yeah okay um so anyways shameless (laughs) yeah this has now become a starbucks podcast anyway (laughs) no uh so hello everybody we're back uh we're back 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 again uh we are hurtling towards the end of season one we are Uh, with this episode we're like four episodes out from the end of season one i think yeah that sounds right uh and uh i know it's taken us a long time and we're still working out the formula but like we're on apple podcasts now so like we're fucking professional as hell do we have real microphones no have we ever (laughs) recorded in the same room no no (laughs) one of these days i will convince you to come to my house so that you can both see zoe in person again and, oh yeah, and maybe we can record an episode. Oh, yeah. sitting me and, in the same me and room. Zoe have been in cahoots when it's a good time for me to come visit. So that will be happening in the future. Straight up, and like when you're here, we should record an episode in the same room. It'll be fucking revolutionary. We should, we should record at least like two because I feel like that would be like even better to have that under our under our belt. Yes, just knock it out for for four hours. Yes, <laughs> yes, I'm so into it, and I am. Ve- I just rewatched this episode so that I would have it fresh in my mind. Uh, I am. So fucking excited to get into this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes of season one. It's got some iconic moments of the series in this episode. We're talking about season one, episode nine, but at last came a knock, y'all. Mm, I added the y'all. It's called, but at last came a knock. It is, it is magnifique. It is so good. And like it aired in Pisces season. So I feel like that's sort of <laughs> why, um, I I get so salty every time I watch like or I see like a horoscope thing and like it's always the last one is Pisces I'm like why the fuck we always at the bottom and like yeah makes me mad you ready to get into this episode Evan I'm so ready yes let's do this okay season one episode nine but at last came a knock aired on March 6th 2011 it was written by Alex Borstein and we fucking love Alex Borstein I love him he does us good she she fuck. Yes. <laughs> she previously wrote uh, episode five, Three Boys, the one about Frank's balls. Mm-hmm. Listen, it's not the greatest episode, but we still love her. Uh, we know her as an actress from The Marvelous Miss Maisel, for which she won, I think, a Globe and an Emmy and a SAG Award. And she was on Gilmore Girls. She's the, she is the voice of Lois Griffin on Family Guy. And of course, uh, the most iconically, she was the <laughs> chaperone in the Lizzie McGuire movie. I don't know how anybody could ever forget that. <laughs> uh, and she even guest stars in this episode, uh, which is, you know what? If I was going to write an episode of television, I'd write my ass into it, too. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, she has that power. She already has all those other things under her belt. Might as well. Uh, and then it was directed by Mark Myloid. Uh, he also directed the pilot episode. And uh, I, I made a note that I don't know if we discussed the directors, but I just re-listened to our pod, our pilot episode We did mention that he directed the pilot episode, but we didn't go into his background. He has directed a total of 12 Shameless episodes through 2018. Mm -hmm. He also directed the pilot and episodes four and five of... Oh, he he directed the pilot and episodes four and five of the British original Shameless series. Oh, damn. Um, And he also directed the show, like a few episodes on the show, Secession, Entourage, United States of Terra, and six episodes of Game of Thrones. Damn, this guy really be doing it. Good for him. He's a heavy fucking hitter, like, between Showtime and HBO. He is not fucking around. And that's probably why, that's partly why this episode is so good, I think. Because it was Mm -hmm. written by a rock star actress, comedian, writer, and directed by a badass, experienced, (laughs) know-what-the-fuck-he's-doing director. 
who directed the original series and knows the vibe. So that's great. Yeah, exactly. So the synopsis of this episode, according to IMDb, is Frank needs his ex-wife's signature to claim some settlement money. Debbie learns that Steve may not be who he says he is. Monica shows up and announces she's taking baby Liam. So this is going to be the first episode where we meet Monica, everybody. Let's strap on in. It's sad it's not the last. Yeah. Well, let's, I I was going to note it when she showed up, but like the woman that plays Monica, just like, like we get annoyed with Frank, but like Bill Macy is amazing. Monica is a, is a train wreck of a character. Yeah, we we don't like Monica in this house. <laughs> but, like, the amount we don't like her is because Chloe Webb is so good at being her. She's so, like, it's literally the most believable. I feel like the way she uh, portrays, like, the way she portrays Monica, like, it's so believable. And, like, you can't even, like, separate the actor from the person in the sense because you're just, like, I believe that you're this fucked up and this, this crazy that, like, I don't want to look at you and I don't want to think about you. And she's so she's so good at playing fucked up. I'm pretty sure she played Nancy Spungen in the Sid and Nancy movie. And oh like, my god! Yeah, and I literally just watched an episode of House where she played like a music producer, and she was the only one in the episode that had their shit together, which is hilarious yeah. to me. <laughs> a three sixty. Also, a few episodes later, just a random background character was fucking Cash, and I like couldn't handle it. But they, anyway, they, everyone got the whole repertoire. <laughs> but anyway. We're about to get into the episode. So previously on was done by Carl. So the first five episodes were Frank doing the previously on. And then we got Fiona. And then we got Lip. And now we get Carl. We get the like previously on for anybody who's watching or listening to this out of order. In the uh, in the last episode, we get reminded of uh, Ethel, uh, who is Kevin V's foster child. And the fact that she was a child bride in a cult. And she has a baby of her own. By the way, she's 13. <laughs> I love Ethel. Karen and her fucking father's issues with him being an evangelical, like, sexist piece of shit. And yeah. she is, she's a woman who embraces her sexuality. Uh, and he doesn't like that about her. Mickey, hi, baby. Hey, and, baby. And his history robbing Cash at the Cash and Grab and him and Ian hooking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we get reminded of that. The fact that the entire... In fact, the entire Ian Mickey situation and the fact that Linda knows is demanding a baby and that Cash has a gun but was too chicken to use it before. So, like, we get him going, like, oh, Mickey stole my gun because I didn't shoot him with it. Because what was I going to do? Shoot him over a cup of soup? Mm, okay. I hate, I hate Cash. And that Cash is in an arrangement uh, with his wife saying that he can't have sex with the 15-year-old that works for them until he gets her pregnant. the fact that that actually is just like you can't fuck this 15 year old boy until you impregnate me and i'm gonna let you do it afterwards like linda we love you but girl come on priorities i do love that she turned to ian and went you know you could fucking do better right and like she was right (laughs) she was right she's Um, not wrong and ian is doing better good for him yes and we also get reminded about steve uh the fact that he kept getting calls from a woman named Candace, and then we found out his name is Jimmy. Jimmy! And he has a Jimmy secret, Steve! And he has a secret family on the north side of Chicago in, that lives in, like, a huge house. Like a mansion. Interesting. Uh, so that's the previously on. We're all caught up, and we open outside of that house. Debbie is in V's car. They're staking out the massive house where that we saw Steve go into in the last episode because Debbie motherfucking followed him there. She, I, I like, she I, didn't the, follow him there. The amount of power 
she has have as like a 12 year old that literally got the address and was like, let's go. Yeah. She got the address off of his phone because it was conveniently up in Candace's (laughs) contact information in his phone when she looked at it. How convenient. Yeah. There's some great lines in this conversation because V doesn't know why they're there. And Debbie's like, Debbie's being very clandestine about it. And she says, she thinks that the woman that Steve is sleeping with lives in this house. And Debbie says, Fiona takes care of everyone, but no one takes care of Fiona. True facts. True yeah, facts. I, uh, oh, Debbie, you're so right. And then V assures Debbie Fiona can take care of herself, but like she shouldn't have to. And Debbie has a point there. And we cut from that, like, I, I don't know, spy moment to Fiona and Steve. They're in the club. He's getting them drinks and she has her hair straightened and she looks hot. Oh, like her she, hair straight. She just looks like a goddess. I love her. She looked like, and she knows she looks hot and she's <laughs> like, but she's checking her phone for something. We don't know what she's checking her phone for. And he comes over and asks like, did you make me order a sex on the beach just to embarrass me? And she says that she ordered a sex on the beach so that maybe he'd take the hint to take her away to a beach where they can have sex. And he's like, hold on. I couldn't get you to go to the hotel with me a week ago. And now you want to go to a beach? This bitch can't make up her mind. Yeah. And she's like, well, that was then and this is now. And like, he's right. She's sending mixed signals. And she says she hasn't seen a lot of him lately. She's testing him. She's pushing. And Fiona said this is the point where she starts looking for reasons to bail. And like, she's, you can see in her, her gears are turning. The Candace thing tipped her off. And now she's kind of like, do I continue to commit time and energy to this person or mm-hmm. do I get the fuck out of here? And she, yeah. so they have a conversation about like meeting the family and he says his mom is in Michigan, which is a lie. And she clocks- he says he goes to school in Michigan, right? Yeah. Isn't that the thing? No, he says his mom is in Michigan and then to his family, they think, I think they think he's in Detroit yet uh, going to school. Uh, and she goes like, oh, I think this is the first family information I've ever gotten from you. And he plays dumb because he's a liar who's lying. He says his dad used to work for GM, which is a lie mm. that we will find confirmed later in this episode. J- Jimmy Steve. I'm so glad I get to call him that now. I love calling him Jimmy Steve. <laughs> Jimmy Steve is a lying liar from Liarsville. Uh, and Fiona, she, 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 you can see in her face, she knows something isn't right. She, she doesn't trust this and she shouldn't. She should not. And then we cut to Ian and Lip getting high in their bedroom because Lip just put baby Liam down to sleep. And then Ian says something cute and gay about James Franco. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's adorable. And Lip asks Ian if he has cash because he wants to take Karen to a Florence and the Machine concert for her birthday. I that's so cute and so 2011. Okay, Florence and the Machine, we love that. I'm convinced Florence from Florence and the Machine is like an actual like goddess. If you've ever seen that <laughs> rooftop footage of like her singing as a storm comes in and the storm like perfectly goes with the tempo of the song and when she hits the crescendo of the song there's like a a thunder rumble and then the storm goes away at like it's the most she's a goddess and it's the only way i can explain it apparently karen has good music taste and so does lip and lip is is all up in his feelings and he wants to take karen to a florence and the machine concert for her birthday and ian's like ooh. Is this a relationship? And Lip, like, brushes it off. Can we also talk about, like, Cash runs the shittiest little market on the street corner. 
where is he getting all this money from that like what's going on with that because he bought ian that like nice ass like indians like bomber jacket thing and like, now he's trying to like fuck him for some tickets like where's cash getting this money like if linda's on his ass every goddamn day about like a twix being stolen but this man's can just like help him throw this money around we'd love inconsistency in tv shows yeah like linda is clearly on top of their finances she doesn't notice that much money going missing i don't yeah. understand like i feel like concert tickets like realistically i would say like 30 50 a piece so that's a good like 100 200 dollars like yeah. for whatever we love shameless but we don't <laughs> look into it too deep <laughs> uh, but so ian and lip are just talking in their bedroom and then liam cries and the boys do rock paper scissors to see who goes to take care of them and like oh i love these brothers i love these brothers lip and ian are the strongest sibling bond on the show i think oh yeah by far like i know they try to like like tor like the longer it gets into the show and like i know you didn't watch it like it's they almost really distance from each other but i feel like a lot in like the last like season like, they really, like, tried to get their bond, like, back together and stuff. And it was really, really sweet to see them because they're both so old now, like, within season 10. Like, Lips, like, got his own shit going on, like, and all that stuff. And it was, like, I love how they made it come back to, like, they're still brothers. They still love each other and stuff like that, even though they both had their own whack storylines going on. Yeah. Uh, so we cut from that. Uh, we're going to over to Kevin V's house. Ethel is on her knees praying before bed. She's praying for her baby boy and she's praying for her 65 year old husband that he'll remember to take his pills so that he can pick up their sweet little baby, which like, I'm sorry to break it to you. That man is in prison. That man's in prison. He's not touching that baby. Oh, Ethel's a sweet little baby who even after all the trauma she's been through is just an innocent mm -hmm. girl who just wants her family to be well and like, oh my God, breaking my heart. I feel like it was, like, really realistic, though, that they had her still kind of, like, acting, like, not, like, you know how, like, a lot of the times when, like, people bring in, like, foster kids in shows, they're like, all right, I'm immediately involved in the family, and, like, I'm so comfortable, and I'm gonna follow your rules, but she's still, like, brainwashed in a sense, so, like, it's, like, nice seeing, like, them, like, respecting her in the sense of let her, like, get comfortable and, like, not be scared of, like, her scary wrinkly husband. <laughs> yeah, like, let's be real, Kevin V are great foster parents, and they only uh, prove that through this episode. Because uh, Kev, Kev is listening at his bedroom door because her because Ethel's bedroom door is open. He's listening at his bedroom door to her praying, and it it's breaking his heart too. And we find out from that that Ethel's son is coming to visit with a social worker, and V tries to like because Kev's like, oh, we can we can probably get her son too, and he can live here too. And V's trying to manage expectations for because I think I think her trying to manage Kev's expectations is also her trying to bring it down for herself, too. I think she doesn't want to get attached in case it doesn't last, mm -hmm. just as much as she doesn't want him to get attached in case it doesn't last. Yeah. So they're listening at the door, and V, like, brings him down, and then he sees two little things in her hands, and he's like, are those, are you gonna put those up my ass? Because, like, I don't think I'm even gonna feel those. <laughs> She's like, babe, they're earplugs. They're for Ethel. And he's like, oh, good. It would have it sucked fishing them out. Like... Not only are they still going to have <laughs> sex with the foster kid in the house, they're still going to have the level of sex that they're used to. And Kev is expecting to get pegged. And we love a king. <sighs> I love him. Dude, I love him so much. We love a king. And we love them giving Ethel headphones so that she doesn't have to be subjected to it. Thank, thank you. You are responsible parents. I enjoy this. 
pegging they really Kim. They be doing the most for not even their kid. Yeah. And I made a note, Kev is probably such a strong queer ally, and we see that throughout the series, because, like, mm-hmm. he gets pegged, and he knows how good that shit feels. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I understand why you want to fuck a dude. This probably feels awesome. Like... Yeah, double trouble, that's what I say. Love that for you, Kev. So then we cut away to a, a frat house, a sorority house, I don't just know. Some, yeah, just some party house that definitely he should not be in. It's the morning after, I guess, a kegger. Frank is waking up in the aftermath, and there's a like there's like a heavier Asian woman asleep on top of him. He calls her Jackie Chan. And went and wakes her up, and when she finds out, finds out they had sex while she was unconscious, or, like, blackout drunk, well, she finds out they had sex, she bursts into tears, and he says, chins up, and then she pukes on him, which is her right. The fact that he goes, chins up, he's so bad! He called her Jackie Chan, and then he says, chins up, which, you know what, yeah, absolutely puke in his lap. Good for you. Oh. Fuck Frank. And we cut away from that. I don't even know why that is in this episode. It's just like, oh, it's what a crazy, wacky place for Frank to wake up. Stupid. Yeah, literally. Like, hee 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 hee, bye. Shut it. up. We cut away from that to Sheila's house, but sadly, instead of Sheila, we are seeing Karen's dad knock on the bathroom door. Karen just hears a knock and goes, fuck off. <laughs> it's great. And he's like, what? He doesn't even understand how she knew it was him. But he starts getting preachy that he understands her behavior is because of his neglect. And he slides a picture under the door of them when she was little. And he's like, give me another chance. I don't fucking like, care. No, we don't care. Like, go away. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, if you were my, you're my dad and, like, we were cute to when we were younger. He treats her like shit. Like, I both don't care about the storyline and fully hate it because I know where it's leading in Karen's in Karen's story line, line. Story, and it's I I fucking hate it. I hate yeah. it. Anyway, from that, we go over to Jimmy <laughs> Steve, who Fiona still only knows as Steve, but I will be calling Jimmy Steve. He's hopping out of bed, he's getting dressed, and Fiona feel, says she feels like he can't get away from her fast enough after they fuck, so Fiona's getting a little clingy. <laughs> That's very uncommon of her. Yeah, I think she feels him backing away, so she turns on that baby soft voice and she starts getting a little clingy. And he calls her paranoid, and she lies about why she's still not in the computer class, like that it was full, or that the time changed, or that it was canceled, and it's really because she didn't think she was smart enough to be there, that's why she left. Which, the like, fact that she just packed up her bags the moment they started opening, that just broke my freaking heart. Yeah. Like, how much, how little confidence does she have to have in herself to give up that quickly? Like, oh, oh, baby. She's a baby. Like, she's only 22. I can't I can't wrap my head around that. Do we ever know how old uh, Jimmy Steve is? Are we ever given, like, an estimate of how old well, he is? Well, if they be? think he's in medical school, he's probably... Early 20s as well? Early, yeah, 23, 24, maybe. Okay. Which, like, bullshit all of this yeah, at that uh, age. Man's literally looks 35. Yeah, no. So he calls her paranoid. We're, we're already there. She makes an offhand comment about Liam. She has to take Liam to get his vaccinations. She's like, don't tell Jenny McCarthy. And like, yeah, let's remind everyone Jenny McCarthy and Donnie Wahlberg are anti-vaxxers. Fuck them. Yeah, Fuck bye. them entirely. Do I watch The Masked Singer? Absolutely I do. <laughs> it's insane. It's like doing acid. But every time that her, her guess is correct, it makes me irrationally angry because she is an insane person. 
and I don't like agreeing with her. <laughs> but I do still watch The Masked Singer. It's ridiculous. But anyway, so they like, Fiona gets the house up, they're doing breakfast, they're getting ready, and Steven interacts with Debbie, and you can see in Debbie's eyes she don't trust this man. She's just giving him a deadly look. Yeah. And she asks, Debbie asks Fiona a bunch of like, how's everything going with Steve? Everything all right? Or like, she's, she's probing. She's trying to get answers out of her. And Fiona calls Liam Baby Bottoms. <laughs> she calls him Baby Bottoms. A little baby boy. I love him so much. And Steve hears it and goes, I thought I was Baby Bottoms. And she's like, nope, you have a Baby Bottom. Swore, <laughs> swore I'd never date a man with an ass smaller than mine. Ah. Get him, Fiona. The baby boy she uses when she's talking to Liam is my favorite thing in the world. Emmy Russum, if you weren't happily married, I would I would get down on one knee immediately. Like, <laughs> oof. Uh, so she asked Steve to come over at, to watch a movie later, and he, like, blows her off. And, like, you can see it hurt her. You can see it hurt her deep inside, and I don't like it. Mm. I don't like it at all! Anyway. Their relationship was so good! I, oh. So Debbie, she follows Steve to the door. And she asks him for a ride to the library. And he says, sorry, no. He's got his motorcycle today. And he thinks her, like, questions, like, probing questions are super cute. And he's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm lying. I'm in the CIA. And she's like, mm, you're not cute. <laughs> <laughs> like, the fact that he's trying to be like, ooh, boo, boo, with Debbie. And we're like, no, no, no. She, she's too smart for you, bitch. She fucking knows. She clocked you immediately. And we cut away from that, from Debbie being suspicious, over to the alibi, where Frank, of course, now is. He he walks in and, like, I think jokingly asks, any messages? And the bartender's like, yeah, actually, um, somebody called for you here. Because everybody knows you're going to be here. Mm. And he talks to the bartender woman like he knows her and like they've slept together before. Uh, this is the first time we're meeting this character, and it's not lesbian flannel bartender. And mm -hmm. I would like to know where she went. Because I like her a lot. Why are we just swapping out random... Where's I feel like we definitely her? see lesbian flannel chick again, but I don't think we see this chick again. It's weird, the inconsistencies of the bartenders and the alibi. I like, in spoiler alert, in later seasons when it's, like, just Kev. Like, <laughs> like how it's literally just him. <laughs> uh, or, or V. Um, yeah, I'm like, girl, why is it just you at this bar? What are you doing? <laughs> So Frank returns the call that was left for him, and we hear the voice of the writer of this episode, Alex Borstein. And she calls, and she's like, I got settlement money for you from a lawsuit he can't remember because he's got so many pending lawsuits from bullshit injury claims. And she's like, she reminds him which one it is and says he needs to come down to her office right away to sign shit for it. And he's like, money! So he chugs, and he, and he goes to his lawyer's office. Oh, wait, I didn't realize that the lawyer, that's her. That's Alex Borstein, yeah. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah. So, we come from that, Debbie goes over to Kevin V's, where Ethel is, she's scrubbing a carpet, I think? And she's cleaning the house because her son is gonna come over, and she's very excited. And Debbie, who longs for family, says Ethel is lucky to have a baby at 13. And Debbie said, and Ethel says, <laughs> Debbie will be old enough soon and ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Uh. Remember a few episodes ago when Debbie stole a baby because she wanted a family <laughs> so bad? Please don't put baby more baby ideas in her mind. Like, 
we learn Debbie is 10 and a half and Ethel's like, oh, in two years you can start trying. Ethel, that's not a healthy way of thinking. Ethel, something is wrong. Ethel, or pray, a poor brainwashed baby. Oh. And Debbie asks, does it hurt? And Ethel's like, oh, sex or childbirth? And Debbie said both. And Ethel says, yes. But like, Ethel, baby, it's not supposed to hurt. You were abused. You were abused by an old man. And then you had a baby because of it. And I am sad for you. And like, I just need to take a moment to be sad for Ethel. <laughs> I feel like we don't take enough moments to be sad for Ethel. We really don't. And then we go from Ethel saying that sex hurts to Karen and Lip fucking in the van. Uh, doesn't Yay. seem like anything hurts here. Um, but while they're fucking, Karen is complaining about her dad. And Lip is like, hey, quick question. Could we not talk about your dad while we're fucking? And Karen just sort of ignores that request. Like, um, like I get casual talking, but like, don't talk about your dad. And for some reason, the director thought it would be necessary during this scene to have because they're in the backyard van and the director of this episode thought it would be necessary to have Carl on the like back porch dropping like a frozen thing of orange juice or of orange soda off of the balcony and like as it explodes we hear the sounds of Karen finishing and like yeah it was a nice visual but why did we need that? Yeah what was what was the point? <laughs> We waste time on some of the most ridiculous bullshit in this show. But we yeah. go back from the soda exploding to the van, and Karen asks if Lip wants to hang out at the planetarium, and Lip says, no, he's got other plans, but he doesn't tell her what. And, like, honestly, good for you. If she's going to keep things vague in your relationship and not pin things down, then you get to do that, too. Good for you. Yeah. She's been so, like, secretive, and he's just been like, okay. Like, mm -mm, no, your turn to be a little secretive. Yeah, I like it. It's not great with her, like, attachment daddy issues, but, like, good for you, Lip, standing on your own two feet. But we cut from that over to Debbie. Debbie has gone to the library, like she said she was going to, and she's trying to check out a book, and we learn that the admittedly adorable teenager working at the library... He's the one with the little glasses, yes. right? I love him. He seems to have a little crush on her, but um, if he is old enough to be working, volunteering, whatever, at a library, even if it's, like, even if his, like, parent is there and that's why he gets to volunteer there. If you're old enough to be there, you're too old to have a crush on a 10-year-old. <laughs> okay, you, you're not wrong about that, okay? <laughs> you, you're not wrong. <laughs> I don't know how old he is, but probably too old to have a crush on a 10-year-old. That's We see him a little more throughout the season. next couple, yes, season, I think, but, like, we really don't learn anything else about him. Yeah. Um, Just a cute little nerd. In this interaction of her checking out, like, a book from him, he tells her that they have the new Harry Potter book in. She's like, no, they're overrated. The movies are better. And I was like, you know what? Let's take a moment to shit on the turf <laughs> that is J.K. Rowling. Fuck, Fuck you, J.K. Rowling. Isn't it weird that Harry Potter doesn't have an author? That's so crazy. Yeah, dude, Harry Potter was written. It just, it's like the Bible. Like, no one wrote that. No one wrote it. It just <laughs> appeared. Fuck J.K. Rowling. If you're okay, a turf listening to this, even if we only have one listener and it's a turf, I would like you to fuck off. Yeah, we don't need that listener. Just like <laughs> in, I'm going to spoiler alert for, for future seasons. In future seasons, when we start discussing Ian's love interests that are not Mickey, I am going to shit on them. And it is going to be because they are not Mickey or for other character traits. When I start shitting on Trevor, it will never be because he's trans. It will never be because he's a trans character. It will be he's because he's a shitty character. That is why I will be shitting on Trevor. 
Just I'm trans, so I get the bullying free of charge. <laughs> <laughs> Evan gets a pass. Evan gets to do whatever he wants. But like, <laughs> just for future reference, if we ever in this show are shitting on somebody, a character a that personality. is personality, yeah, that's queer or a person of color or disabled or or trans, like in any, we are not shitting on them because of that thing. We're probably shitting on them because they did a shitty thing or are a shitty person. Yeah, it's because the writers don't know how to make a good character yeah. or make a character that you can like without giving them one negative bad quality. So or I'm like gonna, 50. I'm going to step off my soapbox, but uh, transphobes can fully fuck off and die. Yeah, can, bye. If you're listening to my bitch ass, uh-uh, get out of here. <laughs> bitch, bye. Anyway, back from that. <laughs> We're in the library with, with Debbie and this boy. And she asks him if he knows how to use the computer, and he helps her, like, do a basic Google search, I guess, on Candace Lishman, and they find out, like, shit about Candace Lishman that she, that the name Lloyd Lishman is related to her, and they get, she gets information, and while he's doing this little, this little search for her, he's like, hey, maybe we could, uh, like, hang out sometimes, and she is oblivious. She's just like, yeah, whatever, can you give me this information, please? <laughs> And then we go from that back to the Gallagher house uh, where Lip is going into Debbie's room looking for money. And then while he's looking, the camera like whips around to Fiona who is sitting on the floor with Liam. And she's like, yeah, um, Debbie stopped keeping large bills in there. She opened a savings account. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gee, this family's whack, bro. Financial head of the household, Debbie Gallagher. <laughs> and Fiona says, if Lip needs money, she, he could take the neighbor lady up on her offer and, like, we get a flashback to a neighbor lady who, like, hit on Lip. And, like, Fiona's joking, but, like, can we stop using pedophilia as a joke? Maybe. Yeah, the amount of pedophilia jokes. Um, even, even if it's an older woman hitting on, like, an upper teenage young man, it's still pedophilia. It's still bad. <laughs> Um, but Lip says it's a good idea and Fiona's eyes go wide. She's like, I was fucking kidding. And he's like, no, no, no. In the flashback, we see that woman was hitting on him because he was fixing her birdhouse. And he's like, no, I could, I'm going to go bust her birdhouse again and make her pay me to fix it. Okay. <laughs> Genius. I love a smart man. Big brain energy. And, uh, as Lip goes to leave the room, I didn't notice it until this last time I watched it. Liam says, mama, he calls Fiona mama. <laughs> Yep. She's the Break only my mother. heart more. She's the only mother he's ever known, so he calls her mama, and it hurts. But we rush past that, and Fiona stops Lip as he's going out the door and asks Lip what he thinks of Steve. And Lip's immediate response is, eh, he's got a small ass. <laughs> but Lip's like, are you, are you getting ready to retreat and count your wounded? I'm like, that's a good way to put it, Lip. Yeah, she is. She, she's considering it. But they have a lip pretty much is like, I leave it up to you. He doesn't really offer an opinion one way or another on it. Yeah. Um, their relationship is also really special too. We've said in previous episodes, in later seasons, Jeremy and Emmy get to stretch in some scenes together. Mm -hmm. And magnifique, Emmy-worthy scenes that just... Yeah. Uh, but we go from that back to Kevin V's where Ethel is finally getting to see her son Jonah. And it's so cute. Jonah! And Kevin V, Kev's got a tie on. They're trying to be like proper and and sophisticated and act like they're educated in front of the DF, DC, the DCFS worker. And it's like a larger white woman. And so Kev is like using proper vernacular. And so is V. 
in like sort of a mocking way, but like they're trying to be proper. And then this woman opens her mouth and speaking in a tone it feels that she adopted from the vernacular of black women. Mm -hmm. And you see it on V's face. The one, sh the show's one black character that can speak is like, um, is your voice dressed up for Halloween? <laughs> that color is so funny. <laughs> like, Making the one black character in the show that is capable of speech have to deal with this is super fucking annoying. Yeah. But we digress. Uh, the woman says, you got it wrong, sister girl. And like, okay, we're making, we're making V do some work today. Thanks, shameless writers. Uh, and sh we learn that the DCFS worker is not there to observe how well Kevin V can parent, but to observe how well Ethel can parent that's the funniest part of it all for to me, that they're looking at Ethel to be the mother figure, not two adults who are supposed to be low-key adopting them. But, like, I think that they thought that this was sort of Ethel and the baby social worker, and the, and the social worker's like, no, 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 I'm the baby's social worker. Someone <laughs> else can deal with if Ethel should be here. I'm gonna deal with if this baby should be here. But, like, Kevin's wearing a tie, and he's so cute, and Kev is so excited to have this baby in his house. Kev just always been baby mode. I love him so much. Kevin, he just wants to be a dad. He just wants to play some football with his kid. Oh, we lo I love Kevin. Kevin's so good. Uh, but we go from here over to Sheila's. We're hello, my love. Uh, Sheila, uh, who's a literal saint, is hosting her ex-husband's Bible group in her living room. And, mm. like, serving them treats and thanking them for taking their shoes off. And then there's a knock at the door because Sheila locks her door like a sane person who lives in the South Side. And she says the, ep the title of the episode in the form of a Robert Frost quote. Ah, but at last came a knock and I thought of the door with no lock to lock. And these fucking Bible thumpers were like, that's not, it. like you can see in their heads, that's not a quote from the Bible. So they didn't <laughs> understand it. Uh, but Sheila's like, oh, I was, a, is Robert Frost. I was a poetry major in college. Ah, look at her okay sheila being a poetry major in college that's, I, that's the cutest thing in the entire world a poetry major a soft sweet woman who can bake who is good to you who will peg you <laughs> and was a poetry major we love that for her god if the writers had let her be queer she would have been like ascended into heaven uh but she answers the door and she lets frank in and he comes in the kitchen and strips down and says something racist about the way he's cleaning himself. And then he lies to Sheila about where he was last night. Because that's where it, what he does. And, like, when he turns around to clean himself up, there's, like, a tramp stamp on his lower back that's, like, property of Phi, Gamma, Gamma, whatever. <laughs> uh, but we go from that over to a scene of a bus pulling up on a snow-covered street. Ten-year-old Debbie gets off the bus herself, and we just sort of stare at that for a few moments. What? Debbie can just go wherever the fuck she wants on a bus? Yeah, Debbie's just on an adventure at this point. Good for her. Um, and, like, what day is it? Is it a weekend? Is this winter break? Why? Yeah, we have it. School isn't relevant. They go to school when they want to. We'll know when they're, like, we don't know. We don't. They, the spreaders don't care, so we shouldn't care. Until it's relevant to the storyline, we don't know what time of year it is. So, okay. Because um, they never have, like, a Christmas episode or whatever. Like, we, we're never on track. Yeah, there's never a holiday episode, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so we cut from Debbie literally taking a bus by herself. 
to Frank going to his lawyer's office. And then we see the writer of the episode, Alex Borstein, who also plays Frank's lawyer. And she's running a dog daycare and a child daycare. And she's pregnant. I think she's a surrogate. And she's a lawyer. This woman yep. is booked and busy. <laughs> I love her. She's powerful and she doesn't take shit. So he goes, it's like this tiny little office full of papers. There's dogs barking in the background. She's got a kid strapped to her back, a pregnant belly. And she's, and she's like carrying her. like dog food or something. Yeah. And she's like, okay, Frank, you need to, you need to sign this. And you need to get Monica in person in front of a notary to sign this with you in order for you to get this settlement money. And that's where, like, the beginning seed of the episode is 49 minutes into our record. This is the beginning seed of, like, oh, fuck, we got to bring Monica into this episode now. Mm. And then she's like, I got a client going into labor. Uh, can you feed the dogs and then lock up on your way out? She hands him the dog food. And then Frank eats a little bit of the dog food. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, not even, like, the, like, pasty dog food. It's, like, a bag of dry dog food. And he just, like, takes a handful of it and just, like, chomps away. Yeah, but, like, then like, to his okay. credit... To his credit, though, he then does feed the dogs before he leaves. It's like a weird... Uh, at least he listens to some uh, direction. The woman who controls his settlement money. He absolutely listens to. And then we're over at the Lishman house, where we see, we see Steve in, his, in the kitchen. He calls... Like, he gets a voicemail from Lip, and then he calls Lip back, because Lip is at a, a payphone. Remember payphones? Uh, Lip is at a payphone. And he asks Steve for money because Steve is a, Steve's a fucking ATM every other minute of the episode um, or every other minute of the series. So he asks Steve for money and Steve's like, I can't give you money, but I can pay you to do a job for me. So they arrange that Lip is going to help him boost a car later in the episode. And we cut from that scene to somewhere else, like in the same house. Debbie is at the front door and she knocks on the door. And an old woman answers, and Debbie's just, are you screwing my sister's boyfriend? <laughs> and the woman responds, if you're selling cookies, that's a hell of an opening line. I love her. Alex Borstein delivers some great lines in this episode. I'm real into it. And I know there's other writers in the writer's room, but, like, she's the primary writer listed on it. And, like, I like her comedy style. So she delivers yeah, some great good. lines in this episode. So Debbie just pushes past this woman and lets herself into the house. And ask the old woman, so my bro my sister's boyfriend isn't pushing it into you? And the woman yeah, is uh, caught off guard by this. The woman's like, can I get you something? Uh, wine? A glass of water? A joint? Like, this woman is laid back. She's fucking stoned. I love she just, like, starts to, she lights one up, too, and she's just like, ah, what do you want, bitch? I think in future episodes, we only ever see this woman on drugs, so. yeah. No good for her. She is, uh, most people will recognize her in, like, our age range as the math teacher, I think, from Drake and Josh. Yeah. That's who she is. I don't know the actress's name. I didn't that's look it so up. That's so funny. I, I knew she looked familiar, but, I, yeah, that yep, that's exactly who it was. The crazy one who, like, always fucked with Drake. Yeah. And then she's chatting with Debbie, and Debbie's, like, sitting in a, in, like, a big, like, big backed chair and steve walks in and starts talking to his mom and she's like oh my precious little jimmy my favorite baby boy oh by the way there's this little girl here and steve turns his head and he sees debbie and his face fucking cracks like doesn't she just go like hello jimmy yeah 
his mom starts just rambling in the background while we just focus on on Jimmy Steve. Just like his whole face cracks and then he sits down and he and Debbie just sort of stare at each other. The hands look like he's terrified. He, he's like, oh, fu- I fucked up. Oh, I fucked up. And Debbie, Debbie stares at him while in the background we heard his mom say, He's in med school. He comes from a family of surgeons. His father is in the hospital. We're going to circle back to his dad in later seasons. <laughs> Fuck his dad. Fuck Ned Lishman. Um, but his dad is in the hospital and doctors make the worst patients anyway. And while this woman is rambling, Debbie straight up gets up and leaves. She just walks out the door. Good for her. And we cut, And she leaves and the woman's like, oh, shit, I liked her. <laughs> what? <laughs> So some random girl walks in your house, still doesn't say why she's there, and still, like, accepts her into the home. Yeah. Uh, well, we cut from that. Frank is in a closet at Sheila's house, calling and hanging up on a woman we are to assume is Monica, that he has to reach out for to get the settlement money. And Sheila comes up to the door of the closet and knocks on it and says, Frank, I, um, that's a closet. I hope you're not pooping in there. (laughs) I love Sheila, dude. (laughs) She... (laughs) Like, it was a real possibility that she's like, oh, he might be pooping in the closet right now. Like, and she's just, she's not angry about it. She just hopes it isn't happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he opens the door. She's like, you didn't, you didn't poop in there, right? Wrap her in a blanket. Keep her safe forever. We love her. And then he tries to trick her into calling Monica for him and telling Monica that she won a prize. And Sheila immediately just assumes Oh, he wants me to call another woman and lie to her for him. He's fucking this woman. Like, <laughs> two and two made four in her head immediately. And yeah, like, as she should. She's not wrong to assume he is lying to her, because he is. Um, but, like, I wish I wish Frank wasn't such a piece of shit the other 98% of the time. Because in these, like, rare moments, because Sheila storms up to her room and wraps herself in her blanket on her bed. And, like, he talks her down and gets in and... And, like, they have they have a real genuine connection. And if he wasn't such a shitbag, they'd be an actually sweet couple. And, like, because mm-hmm. Frank has compassion. He is capable of it. He just doesn't use it. Yeah. Um, but he convinces her to call Monica and lie to her for him uh, by offering sex with no safety word. And, like, that works for her. But let's pause again. I don't care how much you trust your partner or the person that you're fucking never without a safety word. Never, ever. <laughs> don't don't you do that? No, no, no. And if you let your partner submit, like give up their safety word, that's a big no, no. You need to check yourself. It's not yes. okay. We're all here for consensual sex. Consent all the time. But so Sheila calls Monica to trick her. She's like, "You won a contest, and you get a teddy bear." And like she, tr- she's like, "Was well, it like a gift card to like a grocery store too?" Yeah, she's like a gift card to the grocery store and a teddy bear, and uh, the local weatherman will be. She names like three local weathermen, and Monica does not get it. Sheila, I think this might have been improv. I hope this was improv of Joan mm-hmm. Kuzak just like naming random weathermen in Chicago, and then she finally hangs up on her after giving her like the place and time, and she's like. Who does not know who two of Chicago's weathermen are? What kind of person is this, Monica? Like, <laughs> it's so cute. But looming over us, holy shit, Monica's coming. Ugh, I'm not ready. But we go over to Debbie. Uh, she's waiting in the snow, 
Jimmy Steve comes up to her and talks to her and pretty much begs her not to tell Fiona about this incredible secret he's been keeping from her. And he blames it on life being complicated when you're an adult. And Debbie is not. Debbie doesn't believe him. No, she doesn't take shit. And she says, love is fleeting. What are your intentions? You're distracting her and I need her in the game for at least a few more years. You are fucking right, Debbie. Mm -hmm. You're right. She, she knows one mother figure. She knows one proper mother figure and it's Fiona. And this fucking man is distracting her and pulling her head out of the game. And Debbie's right to fight for it. And I'm proud yeah, of like her. Yeah, like she doesn't want to lose her everything over some little fucking speedy ass a veiny head man. <laughs> yeah. So Debbie, Debbie pretty much tells him, like, if you're gonna keep fucking around with her and lying and, and being an ass like this, um, you need to go. You need to get out of her life. And he tries to assure her that he's in the game by showing her the house he purchased for them. Uh, shut up, Jimmy Steve. But not just any house. He bought the house next door to Kevin V's house. Three, two doors down, man. Two doors down. So, but, like, I don't know his logic in this. In this scenario, Lip is not yet 18. Ian is not yet 18. Debbie and Carl are 10. Liam is barely two. He barely wants, baby. And Frank is not a factor. He wants to remove Fiona from the house and bring her two doors down. But even if you're just two doors down, your minor siblings that you are responsible for are now living without a parent or guardian in the house. Literally. I don't understand. And like, she's the one that brings in the most money to keep the house afloat. I don't understand how he thinks that's a good idea. I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. That's uh, like, I understand where he's coming from in the sense that he knows like she deserves a break in the sense and stuff like that. But like, realistically, he got to step back. And look, if he removes her from the fucking equation, like, it'd be downhill from there. Yeah. But and like, we learned that. <laughs> but, like, Debbie is, like, very excited about, like, the possibility. I guess it's pretty much just a new place to play, like, like kids like. And he is, like, asking her if she'll keep a secret. But, like, she knows that she can get more out of him than this. So she's oh, like, yeah. uh, there's a new sifter and a rolling pin that I want. So if those showed up, that'd be rad. <laughs> Yeah, like, maybe those can, like, just, like, be in uh, my kitchen. Yeah. And, like, we won't have to talk about it. Good for you. Blackmail this man. Uh, but we go from that over to fucking Karen and her dad. And he asks her to rededicate herself as a virgin and bribes her with a new car for it. Fuck this guy. I hate him so much. I literally want to choke him out. Fuck this guy. Um... And then we jump to another scene. Lip is waiting on, at the L. He's reading a flirty text from Karen while he waits on the L platform. And then he meets up with Jimmy Steve so that they can do a job together. And Steve is fucking snippy because he's mad that he got caught. So he's in a mm. mood. And Lip is like, there's Lip is like, there's no fucking need for that attitude. Like, wh why are we acting like this? And like, Steve fucks up because he forgot where he parked the follow car. And Lip is just like eating it up. He's like, yeah, what what was that attitude you came at me with? <laughs> uh, so it's the next day. Frank is waiting in a grocery store parking lot with a pint of beer, like just an open pint of beer with him in this grocery store. He just store. has the glass. Like, I love him so much. 
And an 18 wheeler pulls up and Chloe Webb has entered the chat. Monica has arrived. she is. She gets out of the truck with her truck driving girlfriend, whose name we don't learn for another few minutes. And like Frank sees them kiss and he's like, oh fuck, she's with a woman. And they get excited. They go into the grocery store and then we cut away to the Gallagher house. Jimmy Steve comes in with Debbie's shut up gift. <laughs> and he's like, is this cool? Are we even? And she's like, ah, maybe. <laughs> she's like, I'm gonna get more out of this. As she should. And he tries to treat, be transparent with her. And she's just like, yeah, whatever. And she takes her new shit and she leaves. And she goes to Sheila's house because Sheila's going to teach her how to bake. I love that for her. It's so cute of them. So it's at this point I would like to note, we are 32 minutes into this 50-minute episode. We have had multiple Karen and her dad scenes, and Ian is nowhere to be found. Where is he? Are they in school? Is he at work? Where is he? I don't know if Cam just, like, was unavailable for a lot of he the said, season. He said, I'm good. <laughs> but they just, like, don't use Ian until the last 10 minutes of this episode. And then he shoved his whole storyline in the 10 minutes of this episode at the end. It's ins- I- mad yeah. about it. But we go back to the grocery store. And uh, first of all, now seeing people in grocery stores without masks on makes me irrationally angry. <laughs> <laughs> like this was in 2011. There was no reason for them to be wearing masks. Mm-hmm. But 2020 is an abusive partner that has just made me angry. <laughs> if you're... I was in the dollar store the other day and a man was whole ass naked face just shopping. Oh, the amount of times, like, people just walk into my store and I have to be like, uh, you have to put a mask on and then they roll their eyes and leave and then don't come back in. I'm like, what did you expect? What did you expect? Like, even restaurants where you can take it off at the table, you've got to wear it at the front door, you got to wear it when you're walking around. Mm -hmm. If you get up from your table to use the bathroom, you have to wear it. Like, anyway, 2020 is a curse. Uh, but, (laughs) so Monica and her girlfriend, who's, I think the girlfriend's name is Bob. It's Bob, yeah. It's Bob, okay. Uh, she's, they're yelling at the grocery store worker because they, obvi- they were lied to, and there is no contest prize. And you see Frank watching through the store window, and they yell at the manager, and then they storm out, and they get into Bob's truck, and Monica looks in the rearview mirror, and she spots Frank running away. She, she's like, oh, it's fucking Frank. Frank is here. And <laughs> you can hear Bob get angry immediately, too. Apparently, Kev is waiting in his pickup truck for Frank. I guess Kev drove him here. That is yeah, but Kev obviously doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and Frank comes running up to Kev's truck and gets in. He's like, drive, drive, drive. And, like, to his credit, Kev does some creative moves in his pickup truck in this parking lot. They're, like, speeding away from this 18-wheeler. They, like, play a game of chicken. And, like, (laughs) turn at the last... It's fucking nuts. No, it's scary. Like, the fact that they did that in, like, a grocery shopping center. That must have been hell to, like, coordinate and shoot and get the insurance for. Like, that must have been fucking wild. Mm -hmm. But it it read really good, and I liked it. But we cut from that, like, obvious, honestly cool car chase scene to Sheila's kitchen. She's teaching Debbie how to bake and giving her... Giving her advice on pretty much how to let Fiona just live in her own relationship. And one of her iconic Sheila lines, sometimes, sweetie, when people are in love, they don't tell each other everything for a reason. (laughs) So many of Sheila's lines pull back to, like, some of the most romantic moments of couples in this show. And it Mm -hmm. makes my heart hurt. And I love it. Yeah. Sheila's the third eye of the show. She really is. 
I read an article the other day that she was like teasing a return for this for season eleven. And I was like, baby, don't tease me. Don't tease me. Don't tease me. I I don't want Jody and I don't want Karen, but I want Sheila. Yeah, I want Sheila to show up like at Frank's funeral. <laughs> I want her just to be there clapping. Like that'd be so good. No, honestly, I feel like Sheila would be like Sad. sweet and genuine about it, but like also a little. I hope I want her to have a backstory of like. But Sorry, I yeah, spoiler like, alert. Like, I want her and Jody and the kid to be like doing well somewhere. I else. forgot about Jaime. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh we're going. God. We're jumping ahead in we're time. Sidetracked. Frank and Kevin. Okay, I this is okay. I by far this is probably my favorite clip of Shameless that I've ever seen, and it's my favorite like meme of Shameless people have used. Do you want to describe it then? Yes. Okay. So as of now, it cuts back to Sheila's house, and all of a sudden, um. Kev and Frank come barging in, and we I'm so excited. She throws she, she's holding this gigantic bowl of batter, and she throws her hands up on the ground. The bowl slams to the ground. This fucking batter shoots back up and hits her and Debbie. It gets all the ground, and she just screams, "What is happening?" <laughs> and then it just like it's just like that moment is so quick, and then it's just like Kevin uh, Frank are hiding, and then. <laughs> My favorite part about it is her. after the what is happening, it then cuts to her just dropping to the floor and pressing herself against the cabinets. And then it's like <laughs> Debbie's like comforting her. She's like, it's okay. And she was crying. <laughs> I love this clip so much. Joan put the work in in this episode. That scene is mm-hmm. so good. Like that scene could have been so like more low key, but she just she put her all into it and she she executed it perfectly. That is one of the moments in this in this episode that is like one of the more iconic moments of the series. Is that that what is happening moment? That's what we used it on our Instagram the other day too. Because when I announced that we like delayed a week of the episode, I was like, "Listen, what is happening?" I think I think that was one of the first clips I saw all of Shameless before I actually started watching it. Because I remember it was used as like a reaction video to things. And I remember seeing it on a Vine. I don't remember like what the Vine was, but like that was like the clip reaction to like it or whatever. And I was like, what is this? This is hilarious. And then I watched it and, sh- and then it happened on Shameless. And I was like, it makes so much sense. <laughs> I love her. Jo- I love her so much. Uh, R.I.P. Vine. Uh- <laughs> Literally. Uh, but that that happens and it's marvelous. And Kevin Frank are hiding, crouching by the front window from Monica and Bob, who have been on their tail the whole way home. And Kev turns to Frank and goes, I am seriously this close to punching you in the dick. Because <laughs> Kev did not sign up for this. Yeah, Kev still does. I don't, does Kev really know what's going on at this point still? Or no, did... he just knows run. <laughs> yeah, the run. But Frank crawl like army crawls into the kitchen like the coward he is. And Sheila is hyperventilating. She cannot take this. And she's so upset. And Frank is like, where's the key to the back door? Where's the key? And she's like, it's over there. It's, he's like, no, it's fucking not over there. <laughs> and like, it's very fun. And like that sort of fades away as we follow Debbie to the front window. And then Debbie looks out the front window and sees her mom and everything stops being funny. Mm, yep, not funny anymore, bitch. <laughs> And Debbie, because Debbie just goes, mom, when she sees her and like, oh, fuck. That hurts. It, it hurted. It really did. Because Debbie goes outside and Monica sees her and calls her sweet pea. 
and tries to hug her, but Debbie just runs away. As um, she should. As she should. Um, and then Bob and Monica come into the house to confront Frank. Oh, and in this scene, we get a timeline. Because uh, Frank and Monica are like back and forth yelling at each other. And in this rant, we learn Liam was two months old when Monica left. So let's estimate he's about two. So she's been mm-hmm. gone for, for more than a year, at least. Even if he's not two. She's been gone for more than a year. Um, and she left when he was two months old. Yeah. Monica and Frank yell at each other and, until it winds down. And honestly, as shitty of the characters that Frank and Monica are, I want to point out again, Chloe Webb and Bill Macy are amazing at their jobs and show it. Mm-hmm. Like this scene is William H. Macy and Chloe Webb and Joan Cusack just yelling and screaming and acting their asses off in a scene together. And it's amazing. It's so good. And like Steve Howie and the actress who plays Bob are also there. But like it's Chloe Webb and William H. Macy and Joan Cusack. It's a great mm-hmm. scene. It really is. And I think, I, I guess Monica didn't recognize that this wasn't their house that she's at, but she saw Debbie go, go out the front door. So she's like, where are all the other kids? And uh, Frank says, or Sheila says that they live over at Fiona's. And Fra- Sheila sort of ends it. She's like, the kids live at Fiona's. Um, Can you all put bags on your feet right now? Please, <laughs> please. Put no one respects Sheila's house. And, like, she's just crying and shaking, and Bob's, like, bags on the feet. But, like, put the fuck, put the fucking bags on your feet. Respect the woman. Debbie is running down the street. She storms into the Gallagher house. because We, we get, like, a brief moment in the Gallagher house where everybody's, like, playing around and, like, getting ready to settle down and watch something. And, hey, look, Ian's there. But, but there he is. <laughs> Ian's alive. Uh, but he has to get back to work soon. Has he been at work this whole time? Ian's, what else do you do? But he's there, and he's, uh, they're getting ready to watch something, and Debbie and Steve comes in, and then it's wholesome, and Fiona and Steve are being flirty, and then Debbie comes running in and brings the mood down, and they're all like, oh, did Frank do something? Did he say something? What's wrong? And she tells them Monica is back, and that hurts, and Fiona tries to call All of their faces, like, drop, and it just, like, hurts. Like, the news that your mom has returned to town makes all of your, makes everything stop in its tracks. The fuck? Like, there's a Mm. story there. Uh, So Fiona, like, tries to go over and comfort Debbie, but Debbie snaps at her and asks, what do you care? You'll be living with Steve in that house he bought next door. Oops, cat, out of bag. So that's a way that Fiona learns that Steve bought them a house and the mood is somber and quiet. And Ian just gets up and fucking leaves. Because as established in the pilot episode, Ian reminds Frank, and I guess other people in the family, of Monica. Which means Ian and Monica must have some kind of relationship that affects Ian pretty deeply. Mm -hmm. So her return fucks him up. Uh, He can't deal with this. He's like, I'm going back to work. Um, And what- oh- Ethel and V are at the house, and Ethel's there with her kid. One of the kids starts calling Mama, and I don't know if it's Ethel's kid or if it's Liam. Mm, yeah, because it's not, like, focused on them. It's, like, Fiona just, like, crying. Yeah. And like I said before, I never realized the entire Ian storyline, the storyline I remember from this episode, I never realized that it's just the last nine minutes of the episode. when. Yeah, he's, like, giving lip advice, and then it's just, like, bye-bye, Ian. Yeah. Uh, um... <laughs> That's how little time Ian and Mickey get in the early seasons, and it makes me so angry. Mm-hmm. But Ian is distraught at the news of his mother returning home, so he he doesn't know where to go. Um, 
So he goes running to Mickey's house and he says, I need you. I didn't know where else to go. And I would like to take a moment. Not only at this point are they like fuck buddies and shit is going on between them, but I firmly believe in the first three seasons, they're also best friends. I yeah, but wholeheartedly agree. Maybe they don't show that in the show, but like, I feel like there's a lot of t- Mickey and Ian times we don't see, and they could just be like buddies, just like doing little buddy things. Yeah, like not fucking in a grocery store. In the third season too, it re- I think it really gets uh, hammered home. But like, I they're they're best friends. Not only do they later fall in love and spoiler alert, season ten get married, but like they they're they're best friends, and like Ian can't trust his family with this, and he's having a breakdown, so he goes running to his best friend's house. And anyone who says that Mickey didn't have an emotional investment in this early on can suck my dick. Because the look on Mickey's face when Ian shows up all fucked up, the way that he lowers his voice and that he knows Ian's first instinct was to run to him. And Mickey's like, oh, I thought you were working. But he sees that he's worked up and he's like, "I'll I'll meet you at the store. Like, it's so genuine. <sighs> like I feel like that's like the softest we've seen. Mickey's just like I'll, I'll meet you at the store. Like, ah! yeah. also his sweater. It's the soft sweater. Stop! I love that sweater so much. It's Mickey's emotional sweater. <laughs> I'll have a rant for that later on, but I love that fucking sweater. Anyway, Ian starts to get a storyline in this episode in the last nine minutes. We cut from that. Uh, because Ian's supposed to be at work, Ian leaves for work, and Mickey has to, like, make an excuse to leave his house where his dad is mad, and that's where we end that scene. We cut back to Sheila's house, Frank and Monica still yelling at each other, fighting about how abusive their relationship was on both sides. They abused each other both emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. And Sheila tries to play the mediator between this, and she tries to, like, get Bob out of the situation, and she's like, maybe we should leave and allow Monica for her apologies. And Monica's like, I'm not apologizing to Frank. And she was like, no, apologize to them because the Gallagher children have arrived. The Gallagher children are at the front door and Monica, Mo- like the fight stops and Monica sort of breaks and they're all just sort of standing there staring at her. <laughs> and then V pokes her head in. <laughs> I'm not one of yours. I'm just rubbernecking. Like she had to remind Monica she didn't have another older, <laughs> older daughter. We got from that to the cash and grab where we get the iconic shot of Mickey's tattooed knuckles gripping on to the shelf unit. And then just like the grunts in the background. Yeah, the shelf is shaking. They're grunting. We know what's happening, but we can't see it because they couldn't shoot it because Cameron Monaghan was 15 at the time. But we get the implication that they are having sex in the back room. And Ian's hand comes up and covers Mickey's hand. So they're essentially (laughs) holding hands. Which is another thing that supports my theory that there was love and affection in this relationship, even if Mickey wouldn't admit it, because they were holding hands and Mickey let it happen. Like I said, it's not an actual sex scene, because Noel was 25 at the time, but Cam was only 15, or maybe 16 at this point. Uh, So we get suggestive positioning. But we see that, and then we see a shot of Cash coming running into the store, all excited. Linda's he says some. He says some, like... Like, I don't know, like, I for- what's their ethnicity again? Uh, he, it's, he cries something in Arabic. I don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he yeah. just, like, yells that, and he's like, I got her pregnant! Ian! <laughs> and he's, like, looking for Ian, because he's like, we can celebrate! I got my wife pregnant! I can fuck you again, 15-year-old! 
and he's super excited about it and he's looking around for Ian and then he goes and looks through the window in the freezer and uh, sees what we just saw of Ian and Mickey hooking up in the freezer. I don't think he knows that it's Mickey at first until he opens the door, Ian turns around and then Mickey turns around after a second and sees Cash, freaks the fuck out, pulls his pants up, pushes Cash away and runs out the front door. Mm. And then Cash and Ian are just kind of ended up staring at each other. And Cash is pissed. Cash is pissed about it that his 15-year-old employee that he is fucking uh, started fucking someone else while he was off fucking his wife. Oh, what a shame. Oh, Ian is super in the wrong here? No. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Actually, Ian's just being a teenager, uh, but you're a pervert. Anyway. So Mickey zooms out. We cut, and like the first shot is Liam's adorable little face saying some baby nonsense in Sheila's living room. And I would like to point out Liam has gotten a lot of quality content in this episode, and I love he him. He deserves too. it. <laughs> I love Liam. So Debbie asks, Debbie's like all curled up like her knees to her chin on the couch. And Monica says that she didn't want to leave them. And Debbie's like, well, then why didn't you take us with you? And Monica says, because I knew you'd be safe here with Fiona. Bullshit. Bitch. Bullshit. 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 Fiona was basically still a teenager when you left them. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. But this is another reason I I don't know why they laid this storyline out the way they did with Ian. Because the way that it's cut between all of these scenes with Monica feels so like the flow is interrupted and I don't I don't understand why it was put where it was put or why it was cut the way it was cut it just seems very jumpy instead of like letting the scenes progress and then going back and then going to a new scene but like it's like we're having the same scenes happening like over the course of like these last 10 minutes I was like no just give us the full scene and that like then cut it up. Like, you don't need to jump back and forth the entire time. Yeah, like, even if, like, in his, um, like, emotional state, learning that Monica was back, Ian went running to Mickey, and then they get caught in the catch and grab by Cash, I feel like that could have been the last thing that we saw of that in this episode, and we could have mm-hmm. dealt with the repercussions of it in the top of the next episode, rather than shoehorning it all in to this. Yeah. I don't know. It just felt weird the way it was spaced out. I mean, I'll take as much Mickey as I can get in an episode. But... <laughs> it's just hard hard to focus on because it goes back and forth so much. Yeah. But anyway, we cut from Monica saying like, oh, I thought you guys would be fine with Fiona. your basically teenaged older sister to take care of all five of you. Okay. Um, back to the cash and grab. It's super uncomfortable. Uh, the, <laughs> I'm very uncomfortable with the energy we've created in this studio today. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it is not great. They're like silently restocking the, the stuff and M- Ian goes like toward the back room and then Mickey comes in and goes fucking right. Keep your mouth shut. You better keep it shut. And then cash is like quiet and goes around behind the counter and Mickey picks up a Snickers bar and says, Mmm, sweet. I like them sweet. But then, uh, so do you, huh? And then Cash... Stop! <laughs> fucking Mickey, shut your fucking mouth. Have I used that line in fan fictions? Absolutely, I have. <laughs> Absolutely, I have. Uh, fucking Snickers bar, man. Snickers bars appear in fan fictions across the land from mm-hmm. then on, too. But then Cash pulls his gun and tells Mickey to put the candy back 
he fires a warning shot at the tomato sauce. Then he fires another one at the chips. And Mickey's like, oh, what the, what the fuck? It's a fucking Snickers bar. And Ian's like, even what the fuck, Cash? What are you doing? And then Cash shoots Mickey in the leg. Ugh, and like the thigh too. And like, my favorite thing is like every shot, it's like a slow, like a slow-mo shot of it. Like the pasta exploding and then the chips exploding and then it going right in the Mickey's leg. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And like, it, he's such a pedophile. He wouldn't shoot the teenager for robbing his store, like pretty much robbing him blind and harassing him every day. He will shoot the teenager for fucking the 15 year old he wants to fuck. <laughs> That's what he will shoot the teenager for. Get your, get, you, you know where your heart is. <laughs> but thankfully, at the end of this scene where Ian, Ian like stands and goes like, he looks back and forth between Cash and Mickey. He doesn't really know what to do. And then he runs to Mickey's side and like grabs Mickey's head and tries to like take care of him. And Mickey's like, you fucking suck to Cash. <laughs> and yes, you're right. But I think I'm pretty sure I might be corrected in the next episode. I think that's the last time we ever see Cash. No, I don't think it is. I, it's it's not. That's all I'll say. <laughs> it's not. I think he, you're right. He does appear in the next episode. Uh, if there was a weird jump cut there, it's because we talked about shit that happens in the, literally the next episode. So you'll hear yeah, about that oops, next week. My bad. Um, but we we literally cut immediately away from Ian grabbing Mickey and trying to stop the bleeding to Ian running down the street toward Sheila's house where Lip is sitting on the back porch. Like, that's another reason this, it was cut so weird. Like, yeah. Like, how long ago was that shot? Like, where is it? Did Mickey go to the hospital? Like, wh like where is the jump in between these scenes? Yeah. And this is also where I made a note. Because um, I, I absolutely recapped that scene uh, by pausing it before it happened. And then I recapped the whole thing so that I could sit back and watch it because I'm very mentally stable. It's, I know all the words <laughs> to that scene. Um, and I would like to discuss Mickey's sweater. This sweater is the only consistency in his wardrobe throughout the series. It is his sweater of sadness. He wears it pretty much all winter and every winter season they make Mickey be sad. And it, he has sweater paws and it's his, when he is sad, he puts on the sweater. When he needs comfort, he puts on the sweater. It is my favorite Collar up, that's what I say. Lynn Paolo is the costume designer and we um, bow at we her feet. Her. We thank her immensely for that fucking We sweater. don't thank her for his stupid jorts, but we thank her for everything else. His we freaking cargo her. shorts by Mickey. <laughs> but we do, we do be loving that sweater. Anyway, uh, so we cut away from the cash and grab scene. Now Ian is running up to Sheila's house because I guess he got the memo. That's where they all went. And Lip is on the back porch and he tells Ian or he tells Lip because uh, Lip's like, I thought you were going to be at work. And Ian goes, there was a shooting, Mickey and Cash. And Lip's like, Mickey shot Cash? I'm like, <laughs> uh, Cash like, shot nope. Mickey, actually. And uh, Ian got out of there before the cops showed up. Uh which Mickey probably told him to do. Um, At this point, this point, I forget. Does Lip know him and Mickey are fucking? No. I don't think he does. Not yet. Okay. I think only Mandy knows he's fucking someone other than Cash. Gotcha. I, I but Mandy obviously doesn't know it's Mickey. No. Gotcha. Okay. She stays in the dark about that for too long. Um, we already talked about how, like, Ian's storylines are always rushed. Everyone else gets, like, 10 minutes to stare off into space and do nothing in a scene. And then all of Ian's scenes are like, here's all the content in the next 30 seconds. Season 11 better be the fucking Galovich show. Anyway. Literally. 
Well, the, the COVID storyline I presented in the, in the beginning is what I will accept. Um, but you're right. I don't know if Lip knows Ian and Mickey are fucking. But, like, they, we find out on that back porch. Ian catches Lip up on what just happened. And Lip catches Ian up on what is happening in the house. And then we go into the house. And we find out that Frank... Since Frank brought Monica back, he actually did know where Monica was this entire time. And had a Fuck phone me, number dude. for Monica. And they just all kind of assumed that Monica disappeared. But if Frank had a phone number, he knew how to reach her this whole time. Fuck him. And Bob makes it worse. Because Bob drops the bomb that... I hate Bob. They would like to take Liam away from the family. And they all fucking freak the fuck out because fuck you. And Bob, Bob is a black character, and Bob says that Liam needs a black parent, and that Liam is Monica's second chance at a family, and Fiona's like, how about finishing the first one, maybe? Exactly! And, uh, uh, of course, a great line, uh, you don't get to just show up one day and take your pick of the litter. Yeah. Fuck you. Um, and then we get the iconic Fiona monologue that I'm sure everybody, even if you haven't seen the show, has seen this monologue. I know it I, so much. I've used it for uh, auditions uh, when I did theater. I know other people that use it for auditions. It is and it is another Emmy for Emmy for Emmy. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how she hasn't. I don't get it. I would leave the show too if I didn't get an Emmy after all of that hard work. Yeah. And at this point, um, in the like series, Emmy is obviously not getting paid as much as William H Macy is getting paid because William H Macy was the name that got the show off the ground and like Emmy, this is besides being in Phantom of the Opera, um, the movie, this is like the first big thing that she got. So like in later seasons in season 10 do, or no, it's season nine. Um, this is a contract thing. So if people don't care. I'm sorry. But in season nine, it was so public that Emmy fought to get paid not only as much as William H. Macy, but more than William mm-hmm. H. Macy so that she pretty much got like, back pay for all the years that she was getting paid less for William H. Macy. She got that pay for a year, and then she said, by the way, I'm leaving. Iconic. (laughs) What a power move. I love that for her. She deserves it, because I feel like she ended up just going through even more shit than William H. Macy went through throughout the show as it progressed, and she obviously became the main character that everyone focused on. And so, no fucking right she deserved to be paid even more as much as that guy. Because as and realistically, William H. Macy has been in the business for so long. This was Emmy's big break, so this was her startup. William H. Macy's already been in the game; he's already gotten his fair share. Like it's it's time for the women. <laughs> and to be fair, he did fight for that with her. He was like, "You're." She's yeah. absolutely right. She, when we started off, I was the name, but she is now the lead of the show, and I don't understand why she's not getting paid. But she's yeah. so like, like this is no shade at either of them as yeah. actors. Just obviously the team that they were involved with who were just like "Mm, we're good like excuse you but i just i love it's so fucking iconic because she got what she wanted she directed a few episodes too and then she fucking she's like i got mr robot money with my husband now so like fucking bye yeah and like she's basically in retirement now she's living her like life like she deserved it because i feel like she aged like 20 years in her time on shameless like she went through enough of that that she deserves this little break not saying she looks bad because Emmy Rossum is still no no she still looks <laughs> hot as fuck like yeah. she still looks fantastic. Sam Esmail is a very lucky man. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> anywho, um, see so where were we? So they want to take Liam. Uh, Emmy's 
iconic Fiona monologue. And then at the end of the monologue, when she turns to Monica and they're starting to have the conversation, they both have the, like, the, like, fight back tears, ugly cry. Like, the casting was so well done because Chloe Webb and Emmy Russom's ugly, I'm about to cry, holding it back face is, they Their look so scratchy similar. faces are the same. It's the same. It's so good. Ugly cry, ugly cry. Let Emmy ugly cry. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so Monica says she's here now for Liam and Debbie and Carl. It's not too late to for me to be their mom. I want to be your mommy again. And like Fiona and Lip and Ian are too far gone for her to even try now. And like, fuck, that's gotta hurt. She's so manipulative. Uh, so Fiona just, she shatters at that. She's like, you know what? Because uh, obviously Debbie and Carl are like, we love you, mommy. Like they want their mom, obviously they want their mom back. And Liam doesn't know what's happening. He's just playing with blocks. But so of course Debbie and Carl are like, hugging Monica and into it and Ian and Lip are standing back there hurt and devastated and mm-hmm. Fiona fuck Fiona breaks and she gives up and she's like you know what I'm done with the clinics and and the bills and the house here are the keys F- fucking goodbye good luck goodbye and yeah I'm on you bitch if you want it so bad because she knows she's got a different place to live now too she hands over the keys and she leaves and we cut to Fiona walking down like a snow-covered street, and Jimmy Steve pulls up next to her in a car and gives her a hug. Hold on. Steve was at the house when we found out Monica was back in town. Mm-hmm. Then the whole family went over to Sheila's house. Where the fuck was Steve? Yeah, where'd he go, and how do you know she'd be walking on the snowy street? Like, where'd he know to pull up? Why didn't he come to emotionally support her while she confronted her absentee mother, who suddenly came back in the picture? Yeah, where, what was that about? Where were you? I, it was, maybe that was just a weird writing mistake that they didn't put Steve in that scene, but, like, where the fuck was he? Was he just waiting down the street in the car because he didn't want to get involved? Like, I, <laughs> But he pulls up next to her, and, she, and he hugs her, and she asks him to show her the house, and then we cut to credits. And that's it. And then that's it. They there's, don't give us nothing after that. There's no after credit scene. No, that's, that's the episode. What did we think? <laughs> That's a, it's a good episode, but I feel like at the same time, as we pointed out, I feel like it's very jumpy and they honestly could have made those scenes a little more prolonged to get it the point across instead of having to go see what Ian's doing over here and like see what Debbie's doing over here and see what Monica's doing over here. Because I feel like a lot of the situations in this scene were like more family involvement things that could have just been like one hefty scene that we would have gone through. Yeah, I agree. I like I I think it was written really well. It like Alex let's have Alex Borstein. She didn't write that many episodes, but like I certainly wish she would have because she delivered some fucking scenes in this episode. Like the the Fiona monologue is just it's 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 heart wrenching. And like I'm not even gonna try to recreate it. Guys, go Google season one, episode nine, Fiona and Monica speech. It's fucking phenomenal. Go on your go on your Netflix. Go into like the last nine minutes of this episode and go hog wild. It's it's uh it's 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 it t- it's a journey. Yeah, there's there's a few scenes that I point out of Emmy's strongest moments in the series. It's this. It's the season five fights. Season four. Season five. Season four fight scene with her and Lip, and then there's there's a few more. But like it's 
is this god tier this scene uh mm. so we got some development in this episode we've yeah. met monica we find out she's trying to take liam away um sheila was there uh we don't care about karen we don't care we don't care about karen i Having feel karen, bad <laughs> i feel bad for karen I don't. Oh, yeah. I definitely feel bad and have sympathy for her, but the way she just plays out throughout the series so far, it's like she's not important. She's not giving us anything. Like, you go, girl, give us nothing. (laughs) If we at this point had gotten a separate series of just Kevin V, I truly believe I would have watched it too. Oh, 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 yeah. I would have too. Because everything going on with Kevin V's storyline is very interesting. It's so interesting. And like, like, I don't care about Monica. Give me some Ethel, more Ethel backstory. Let Ke- me see Kevin Hurd playing some catch outside. Kevin V and Ethel and Jonah, the sitcom, would have been just oh. great. But yeah, that was the episode. Poor poor Mickey. Mickey has been shot, and we are going to go ahead and assume that the cops arrived and that Cash said that Mickey was robbing the store. And presumably not that Mickey was fucking... Cash's 15-year-old boyfriend. That's probably hey, not. Pops, um, I shot this man today because he is fucking my fuck buddy, who, oh, by the way, is 15, and he stole a Snickers bar. I'm sorry, And the cops why? are like, oh, okay, cool, yeah. go about your day. Have a good one. Why are you putting the cuffs on me? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. I just... But, yeah, so that's what happened in this episode. And we're happy. We're happy it happened. I'm happy to have more Mickey and Fiona and just... at. Anything but Karen and Frank, basically. Yeah, like, I like one of these episodes, even though it's so late into the se- season, it really sets up how, like, the last couple episodes of the season are going to go about. And, like, it opened up a lot more, like, even though the storylines are pretty vague, like, it opened up a couple more scenarios that these, like, characters and shit are going to go through throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. And then who knows the fuck's going to happen in season two? And for anybody that's still listening, thank you for listening to this whole podcast. Anybody yes, thank you so much hearing our rambling. For Apple Podcasts now, yay! yay! Welcome. We're and happy um, to be here. all of our links and everything will be updated um, on all of our social medias. And I will be updating the website today as well with all of the official listening links. Yes. Uh, yeah. You, so you can find us on Twitter at LuckWeHadPod. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at luckwehadpod. You can email us luckwehadpod at gmail.com. And all of the the link to the website with our links to everywhere that we stream is in the is in the bio of our Twitter and our Instagram. You can follow me, Amanda, one of the hosts. Hello. I don't know if we introduced ourselves. <laughs> um, you can follow me on at abnormalamanda on Twitter, at abnormalamanda18 on Instagram. Uh, don't bother. My TikTok is useless. But Evan, where can they follow um, you? I'm your other host, Evan. I feel like we didn't do intros this episode. We <laughs> we didn't. Nah. <laughs> um, so you can find me on Instagram at I Wanna Die Four Thousand, or you can find me on TikTok with the same exact username. Um, yeah, and that's where you can find us. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we love this podcast so much, and we hope that you enjoy this and love this as much as we do. And we are excited to prolong and continue with this because I know me and Amanda have had so much fun and we've had so many guests so far and we'll be having more guests in the future. And like at this point, like this podcast is just going to keep on going up from this point. And, uh, and now that we're on Apple podcasts, please rate us and review us. It yes! really matters. It's really important. 
uh, for people to rate us and review us so that Apple knows that we are worth keeping on their platform and we'd very Please, much enjoy any it. reviews any review is a good review yes. uh, that's what I'll say I mean if you hate us like maybe email us about oh yeah it. like maybe don't do that <laughs> like email us and we can work out what we can do better but like please rate us and review us uh, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts mm. Spotify Stitcher and SoundCloud it is where you can find us and um, thank you so much and uh, so we'll be much. back Hopefully, so, uh, we we know that we post a little consistently. Um, the <laughs> pandemic and figuring out work and life is a lot, but we're going to try to post every two weeks, and the next episode will be up as on a Tuesday uh, in a few weeks. So thank you for joining us, everybody. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.